When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golik and Smitty. I'm Mike Golik. I'm Jessica Smetana. And welcome to another edition of Golik and Smetty. I'm Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana. Uh, Jess, we've crowned an NBA champion uh, in the NBA. We'll obviously talk about a lot going on in the world of sports. The U.S. Open this week, but boy, oh boy, what uh, what news? You rarely get so much drama in golf where it's another major and everybody's excited about that. But I almost feel like at this major, there should be like a cage match between the live <laughs> golfers and the PGA golfers as they're getting ready to merge. Uh, is merge even the right expression, right word to use anymore? I don't know. We brought in an expert to yes, tell us. Yes. So Jason Sobel from the Action Network is here. Please, Jason, are we are we still calling it a merger, or is this now just a PIF investment in the PGA Tour? What what's this going on? I, yeah. I hadn't heard about anything. <laughs> is there, there's something going on with the so two factions. Guy named Jay Monahan. Yeah. Okay. Explain more. Keep going. Back Keep in the going. day, there was this, a hole in the ground in Scotland, and some guy decided <laughs> to whack a ball into it. <laughs> if I had told you a year and a half, two years ago, that the PGA Tour was going to merge with something called the Public Investment Fund, I don't even know where we would have gone with this, but it's been a long two years in the professional game. So, uh, no, it's very funny. Jay Monahan himself has said, uh, look, it's not a merger. We are uh, promoting a new entity. They're basically establishing a new company that is going to oversee all of these different entities. And yet when they sent out the press release, it literally said – that they are merging commercial operations with the public investment fund. So that seems like a merger to me. I I don't know. I mean, look, whatever it is, there's still a ton of unknowns. The best I can tell you is that uh, we know some things we don't know uh, more than we know right now. There's going to be a lot more moving forward. And at least we get to watch some golf this week. I think it's going to be a fantastic week for golf here at the U.S. Open. But it's also we have drama, which you out normally the drama is – left for, you know, 72-foot putts, you know, in an extra hole, you know, to, to win a tournament like we saw last week, which was incredible. This is drama off. And while we haven't seen player animosity, at least on camera, when guys have been paired together uh, from Liv and from PGA, and this week for the U.S. Open, as we'll get to, Rory and Brooks Kepka are, are matched up together. One of the biggest questions, and I know a lot of this is just going to be kind of guesswork on your part of what you think is going to happen, the, the biggest question, I think, for a lot of people, because they call this a merger, but the DP World thing is still going to be their tour. The PGA is still going to be a tour. The question is, Liv still going to have a tour? You know, Rory hopes it goes away. The Liv tour, whoever the spokesman said, the plan is for that to keep going. To me, that's one of the bigger, bigger questions. Are we still going to see that three-day loud music, guys playing in shorts, Liv tour after this year? I mean, I can speculate, and my speculation says no, I don't think so. I think that we won't see live uh, continuing in this current form that it will sort of the live players will assimilate you know sort of after some whatever suspensions and fines and penalties that they will get for leaving the pga tour and the dp world tour once they get back into the mix hey it's a super tour and everyone's playing yeah. together which is <laughs> very much like pre-2022 i mean it's not like yes. anything we've <laughs> never seen before uh, the world's best players playing against each other on a weekly basis who knew that could actually work in the game of professional golf but uh, i do think that at least there's maybe a, a light at the end of the tunnel here that we're starting to say. And I look, I I got into this 
20 years ago, started covering the game because I'm qualified to watch other people hit golf balls then afterwards go, uh, that, that looked pretty good. So <laughs> played well today, huh? That's, that's about all I'm qualified for. Once we start getting into antitrust lawsuits and the Department of Justice and things like that, I'm like, like it, it's over my head. I'm trying to learn as much as I can right now, but there's going to be a whole lot moving forward that we don't know, things that I'm not even thinking about yet. So uh, this is going to be a very, very long process. I, I tend to think that whatever this new entity is, I, I believe it'll still be called the PGA Tour, but I do think there are going to be some aspects of live moving forward. I don't think they're going to play 54 whole events. I don't think they're going to be playing shotgun starts, although I don't hate the shotgun for the yeah, first or yeah. second round. Uh, you know, get everything going and get everything moving. On the weekend, I'd like to see uh, see it the way it is now. But uh, team events look like they're very much in play. That was part of the press release. That was part of Jay Monahan's initial press conference with us in the media on Tuesday last week. It seems like there will be some sort of team play moving forward, and I have no idea yet, and I'm not even sure if they know yet, whether that means you know every event, whether it means selected events, whether it means they'll be playing individual and team events as they do on Live. I don't know what it means, but I do think that there's some commercial aspect, and they believe, this is what Live always thought, was they could they could have these teams sponsored, and they're bringing in a lot of money for the players, for the league itself, if they could have a certain commercial sponsor of each team and promote it that way. And I do think that uh, that's something we're going to see moving forward. So last Tuesday felt like a where were you win moment in the golf world. So I want to go back to kind of hear what your initial reaction was, because to me, I was home, I was sick, and my dad texted me and said, Jay Monahan's on CNBC right now and the PGA Tour and Liv are merging. And I was like, Dad, you're an idiot. Shut up. But he was actually <laughs> right. It was a really strange rollout. It was on CNBC. They, again, like used the word merger, and we still are left kind of dealing with details. But what was your initial shock and reaction to hearing the news? Uh, same thing. I happen to be sitting in front of my laptop, which isn't always the case. I, I'm sometimes playing golf on a Tuesday morning. And so I didn't have to rush home as, as I have with so many big stories about this over the past couple of years. But uh, the first thing I saw was a link from CNBC that was tweeted out and a couple people sent out. It was a three paragraph story saying almost like an, oh, by the way, the PGA Tour, DP World Tour and Public Investment Fund have merged and they will form one entity the end. And it was like, whoa, whoa what? That, that's, that's not a three paragraph story. And it's not something you just drop at 955 on a Tuesday morning. Well, as we found out just minutes later, they knew because they had uh, the proponents of this merger, Jay Monahan and Yasser Al-Ramayan uh, in studio with them at CNBC. I believe that interview was actually taped. So I believe they actually knew everything they were going to say ahead of time. And so uh, those guys were there. They knew about it by 10, 10 a.m., five minutes later. There was a press release that was sent out from all uh, all included parties, and uh, and all of a sudden the news started going down. But yes, Jess, you're right. I I thought it was something from the Onion at first. I thought, yeah, <laughs> is is it really CNBC.com? It's not CBNC.com or something like that, where right. they're trying to put one over on us. There's so much fake news out there. Uh, no, it was real. And once we got the press release, we knew it was real. I did not get up from my desk in my office for 12 hours that day. I hosted four hours of radio. I did about eight podcasts. I did. I wrote three stories. I mean, it was just a whirlwind of stuff, which uh, isn't easy when you have more questions than answers. When you're sitting there going, I don't really know what to say, but I have to say it because everyone's asking me to say stuff. So, so which brings up to me this question, and I think I know some of the answers, but, but I, I defer to you. Most times you get a deal done, everything is in place. This time they got a deal done and basically there's nothing in place. Why? Why did they, it's, I don't want to say rush to this decision because I know they were talking about it, but why make this decision when nothing else is really set in stone? What was the reason to say, okay, we're going to do this? What, what domino effect did it have? So they are certainly not going to tell us this. So again, speculation that we have to guess on some of this stuff. Uh, in my opinion, there was this pending litigation from both sides. And so they're going to go into the discovery phase. And I think during that, going into that discovery phase, the PGA Tour said there's some things that uh, we can't have go public. You know, maybe some antitrust things, maybe some other things that have happened with the PGA Tour. I certainly don't know what they are, but the tour 
didn't want them to be made public. And I think the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia looked at that and said, well, yeah, we kind of got some things too. We might have some skeletons back there. Not so sure, but we, we don't really want our skeletons going public either. And so they had been talking and this is uh, something that started seven weeks previously, just after the masters and, uh, uh Jimmy Dunn, who's a member of the PGA Tour's policy board, started speaking with Yasser Al-Ramayan, who's the governor of the Public Investment Fund, and uh, they were going through these talks. And I, I think that's, that's part of what sparked this. Again, uh, we're speculating here a little bit, but I think if you try to connect the dots, you say, uh, why would they want to get together? Well, they can say it's for the good of the game. They can say it's, well, we want to get the best players in the world playing against each other on a regular basis. Uh, that was part of the disruption that we've had over the last couple of years. Moving forward, I think it was, hey, how can we band together, first of all, to keep some things out of the news? But secondly, look, guys, I'm not sure if you know this, but everything is always about money. Yeah. It's always about whatever it is. I don't care what it is. It's about money. And so this whole thing is about money. I've heard that PGA Tour could increase their, their valuation, multiply the, their valuation by two, three, four times from what it was before. I mean, that's massive for any company. I don't care if you've got a, a bitter rival that you're essentially, quote unquote, merging with. Um, that, that's going to be a huge boon to your business. and You have to listen to those offers when you get them. Yeah, well, absolutely no surprise that the PGA Tour wanted more of a financial investment and is trying to now be reactive instead of proactive to what was essentially an existential crisis for golf the last couple of years. But a year ago on, um, I think it was C CBS, Monahan said to Jim Nance, I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that there are significant implications. And this was in regards to Saudi Arabia and their human rights record. I would ask any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? And now he's being hammered for making those comments a year ago now joining with the uh, PIF and, and doing this merger in air quotes, because it's not really a merger. It's a, it's a major investment. Um, what kind of credibility does Jay Monahan have left with any of the golfers that stayed on the tour or any golf fans that took his word for it and stayed loyal to the tour during this disruption? Not a whole lot, honestly. You put it very well right there, Jess, because quite frankly, over the last year and a half, he had preached loyalty. He had preached devotion. He had preached integrity to the PGA Tour membership and then essentially breached all of those codes that he had uh, asked them for and, and said, well, you know what? We can make more money with this uh, and we can do some good things moving forward. And so the fact that, first of all, uh, he, he you know, it's very hypocritical. And, and Jay has said, hey, I understand if you want to call me a hypocrite. And a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I, I <laughs> definitely do want to call you a hypocrite. That's kind of what it is. Uh, but the fact that uh, he has asked these players to um, essentially take less money, play more events, stay on the PGA Tour, be loyal to your home tour, and said, said it so steadfastly throughout the last year and a half, and then all of a sudden just uh, essentially went behind their backs, didn't tell them that this was part of the deal that – uh, he was going to make a deal moving forward. There are a lot of PGA Tour members very, very unhappy with Jay. I spoke with some of them who were in that player meeting last Tuesday in Canada, and it was a, a very large majority who were not just angry at him, but calling for his resignation. Now, I think Jay is going to be... Um, he is going to get that golden parachute moving forward, whether it's uh, still in the game or not. But he has essentially been voted in by the people that made the deal because they are now the board of this new company that has formed uh, this new entity that has uh, all the other tours under its umbrella. He has been voted in as the CEO by the people that he made the deal with. And so uh, even if he's not the quote unquote PGA Tour commissioner, he's still going to have a very strong hand in everything moving forward, whether the players like it or not. And most of them right now do not like it. Although I will say, and I've said this to the, some of the players that I've spoken with that uh, give it time because you might not like the fact that you were told to be loyal. You're told to have your integrity and don't go over there and don't play for the bad guys of Saudi Arabia. And now all of a sudden you're essentially employees of them, at least moving forward. If it's all about money, it's all about money to them. It's going to be all about money to the PGA tour players. They're going to make a whole lot more moving forward because of this. Yeah. And I want to, I want to get to that, but, but again, just so people understand Jay Monahan technically did not have to have the approval of the players. This is not, a CBA situation like I had in the NFL or in baseball or in basketball or in hockey. But just the fact that he didn't keep them in the loop is not going to help his relationship 
uh, with them at all. And well, from the it, stamp- also, Mike, part of the reason Phil was upset with the PGA Tour was because it wasn't a player-led organization and the players didn't have any say in really right. the, the structure or the schedule, anything like that. And he essentially proved Phil right yet again by doing this behind everyone's backs. Is that, is that don't right? Be su- don't be surprised, guys, if this does uh, start a players association, some sort of union from the professional golfers uh, that never really seemed like they needed one before. They might need one moving forward. This could be the fuel to that fire. So that could be a concrete thing from the live PGA thing. What are some of the, as much as PGA players, especially Rory, don't want to admit that live had an effect on the PGA tour. What are some of the other concrete things that we, you have seen that because of live, we're now seeing on the tour? Well, uh, obviously the purses this year have gone way up. I mean, we have a number of elevated events on the PGA Tour just two weeks ago. Victor Hovland won the Memorial Tournament, took home $3.6 million. Denny McCarthy lost in the playoff. He won $2.1 million. Just a few years ago, no one was making $2.1 million for winning anything. Now he's getting it for finishing in second place. And so there's, again, there's a lot more money that's been infused into the game. That is probably also one of the... uh, the things that was an impetus to this deal making, which is the PGA Tour starting to pay out a whole lot more money uh, to essentially counteract live and keep their membership happy a little bit and keep them from leaving for a tour where they're paying out big money. Well, all of a sudden you start paying out big money to all your players for playing in these events and you don't have a whole lot of it left. And so they needed that infusion of money. Who has money? The public investment fund has money. Maybe we make a deal with them. And so that, when you start looking at it, even if you don't like it, it all sort of makes some sense as to why this is happening right now. All right, Jason, we, we, we definitely want to talk golf. So coming up, we'll talk what's going to go on at the uh, L.A. Country Club in the U.S. Open, where, again, uh, live players will be playing with PGA players after this merger. So do we expect any cage matches? We'll come back with that in a minute. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Jason. Well, let's, let's actually talk golf. Kind of, while we're still talking live PGA as well. U.S. Open is this week, L.A. Country Club. First and foremost, I'm a guy, Jason, because I'm a weekend hacker. I love the British Open or the Open when it's horrible weather, and I love the U.S. Open when the track is tough. I love to see PGA professionals humanized on the golf court to make it look like me on the weekend. So how tough is this course laying out right now? It's very tough, Golic, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm telling you, this course is – it's in the middle of Los Angeles, first of all. It's on the outskirts of Beverly Hills. It's essentially – the way it's been described to me, it's like if you took Central Park in New York City and turned it into a major championship golf venue and you played right in the middle of the city. That's what this is. I know it's a it's a private country club. In fact, it's a very, very private country club. <laughs> no shorts, no cell phones. Can't blare your music. They wouldn't like me and you hanging oh. out here very often. <laughs> Uh, trying to play golf here because we would not fit in. But um, it is a it is right in the middle of the city. And what the USGA is going to do with this golf course this week is uh, a lot of interesting things are going to make the players think. And we've already seen uh, a sign on one of the tee boxes, I believe it's 11, playing 290 yards as a par three. And a lot of players go, 290 yards for a par three? That's way too long. Essentially what they're doing this week is they're creating par three and a halves are four and a halfs, making the players think. And you wouldn't believe how many times over the years I've spoken with PGA Tour professionals, world-class golfers who go, wait, is this a par four or a par five? What am I supposed to make here? My answer to that is always, well, play the hole in as few strokes as possible. (laughs) Who cares what the par is? And yet it still gets in their head. It's such a mental game and that's part of it. And so I think they're going to get in the heads of the players this week. The other part of this is that they're going to change around the tee box. I mean, that that 290-yard par three might play 250 one day, might play 220 one day. They're going to have other holes where they're they're moving them up and back. Essentially, the PGA Tour, or excuse me, the USGA doesn't want any player 
knowing what they're going to do before they get to their ball. So they don't want you hitting it down the fairway. As you're walking down the fairway, you turn to your caddy, you go, ah, just give me the nine iron. I'm sure it's a stock nine. I'm just going to hit that standard shot. There will be no standard shots hit here this week. And so when I look at this golf course, I, I know we like to look at driving accuracy off the tee for us open you don't want to be in the rough i know we like to look at ball striking where you know you've got to hit your irons tight yeah all that stuff's well and good and yes the more fairways you hit the better off you'll be the more greens and regulation the better off you'll be but i'm looking for artists this week i, I think lacc is going to be a palette for which they can paint and i think that the artistry is going to show in the most creative players in the game this week if you're a paint by numbers kind of guy you just kind of go spot to spot to spot this isn't going to be your golf course i look at someone like jordan spieth and i know we're going to get into some names he's one of my favorite plays this week but a couple of weeks ago jordan was asked about his favorite shots and he said i hate when i have a flat lie in the middle of the fairway and there's no wind and the the cups cut in the middle of the green and, and all i have to do is just hit the hit a straight shot at the hole he goes i can't do that i don't like that i need to have all these different variables those are the type of players that are going to succeed this week because you're going to have a lot of variables on every single shot. What a brag. Most of us can't even hit a straight shot from I the know. fairway with no wind straight at the hole God. in the middle of the green. So uh, Jordan Spieth has been one of the you know top players that struggled a little bit, had some ups and downs this season. Of those top players that haven't been super successful yet, is there one that you expect to really achieve at LA Country Club? I don't know that this is a place you're going to find your game. Uh, we say that about Augusta National every year, that if you're not informed going down Magnolia Lane, that I don't know that you're going to find it when you get there. And I tend to think uh, very similar things about this golf course. doesn't necessarily mean only the guys who have played well over the last month, month and a half are going to play well this week. But I don't know that you can go from zero to 60 this week. I, Justin Thomas is a name of uh, what I think one of the most talented golfers and one of the most creative golfers we have right now. He can hit, you know, the quote unquote, every shot in the bag. He has that as much, if not more so than any other player, but it hasn't been a good season for him so far. I don't know that you can find it this week. I think you've got to have some form coming in and use that form moving forward because at some point, if you don't have everything firing on all cylinders, it's going to come back to bite you. There's going to be double and triple bogeys here in a hurry if you're not playing your best stuff. It is the 123rd U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. Los Angeles is going to host its first U.S. Open in 75 years. It was at Riviera Country Club back in 1948. I wonder if you could wear shorts then uh, back in 48. <laughs> So uh, from DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, um, Scotty Scheffler is the favorite at plus 700, John Rahm plus 900, Kepka plus 1,100, and then Rory and Cantley at plus 1,400. McElroy and Kepka are paired, uh, two of the three in the same group for the first couple days. What you see on, on the tour each week, Jason, when you see live golfers being with the PGA golfers when this, when this all has gone on, Again, in front of the cameras, we haven't really seen any animosity towards play. You don't see fights on the golf course. But is there, behind the scenes, when these guys see each other, is there animosity amongst the players? For the most part, no. I would say 95% of the PGA Tour and live golfers have good relationships. And uh, that's only going to be bolstered by, look, they're going to look at each other now and go, hey, I guess we're friends again now, right? We can, <laughs> we're allowed to talk to each other. We're allowed to hang out again. Cool. There was some of that on social media last week. Uh, Rory and Brooks have maintained their friendship over the last year and a half. So that's certainly not an uncomfortable pairing for either of them. Now, uh, there have been some friendships that have been fractured over the years. Rory is a good example. He was, I believe, a groomsman in Sergio Garcia's wedding not that long ago, just about four or five years ago. And I, I don't believe they're on great speaking terms uh, right now. Maybe that's changed with the uh, the uh, progress that we, that's been made in the past week. And so maybe you know now they're on speaking terms. I don't know the answer to that, but I, I would say for the most part, uh, no, nah, it's, you know, look, it's just like if you left a company. I mean, I, I, I often try to analogize professional golf to those of us who just work at other companies and, you know, we're not uh, elite level professional golfers. And if somebody that you worked with, you know, you're sitting in a, a corner cubicle next to another person, you've worked with them for a while and you've become friendly with them. And all of a sudden they say, you know what? I got a job offer. I'm going to go make more money uh, with this other company. And you're like, oh man, I really wish you'd stay and work with me, but okay, I understand. And they leave. You don't say, well, 
good riddance. I'm done with him. I'm never going to talk to him again. You say, oh, well, he went to another company. I wish him the best. And yeah, when I, when I see him, we'll still be friends because uh, we were friends before this. And so I think there's a lot of that going on that a lot of us, you know, a lot of people outside of the game who aren't necessarily uh, paying attention to what's going on inside the ropes would say, oh man, PGA Tour, live guys, they hate each other. It's not really like that when they're together. Mike, you don't hate anyone that you used to work with at ESPN, right? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> you know what? If, if I do, I I hated him when I was still at ESPN. Quite honestly, <laughs> uh, no, not you, Jason. No, I I did, did no. not oh, at okay. all. Uh, not not one bit. <laughs> um, as far so uh, so again, as far as the tournament is concerned, you know, we we saw you know a guy like um, uh, who was it, uh, Michael Block. You know, a few weeks ago, you get his 15 minutes out there and he's not going to be in the U.S. Open. But is there that guy that that, you know, on the tour that a lot of us don't know on the tour in a hard tournament like this that could maybe elevate his game? And we'd see on that first page of the leaderboard for a while. So I can almost guarantee that we're going to see some names up there that you're like, wait, where did that come from? It's not going to be a chalky leaderboard. You're not only going to see Scheffler, Rom, McElroy, Kepka, and the big names on the leaderboard. It's it's a U.S. Open, and uh, it brings out the best in uh, everybody. There's going to be some names that just, you know, you can go out there and plod your way around, uh, make 18 bars. That could very well get you on the leaderboard. I don't know that I can give you a name from the, the Michael Block section, although I can tell you that, there are a lot of qualifiers here. And so there's a lot of options with 156 players in the field and, and a lot of players that you've never heard of before. There's at least a lot of potential for one of those players to creep up on the leaderboard and become a really big story on the weekend of the players that maybe you don't know their names so much. I'm going to give you a handful of them that are further down on the betting boards that eh, maybe not to win this week, but just to keep in mind for your top twenties, top thirties, top forties, your DFS lineups, things like that. Uh, I'm going to start with some guys with West coast ties. Sahith Figala is going to be uh, one of the game's best players in the next two years. He's coming. He's played really well in major championships already. Uh, I'm telling you, I, I like this kid's game so much and I've been driving that bandwagon for a while. He's a West Coaster. Justin Suh is a guy who's played really well on the West Coast. He's a guy that uh, was up there at the PGA Championship last month. Andrew Putnam was on the leaderboard at the Memorial Tournament just two weeks ago. He's a very good putter. I think that's going to come in handy this week. Uh, some of the Canadians might get a little boost from, you mentioned Nick Taylor's win on Sunday. Mackenzie Hughes is one of the best fast greens putters in the world. He was one of the 54-hole leaders when this tournament was held at Torrey Pines two years ago and uh, wound up finishing in 15th place, but was up there for a few days. He's not playing his best golf, but I can see him up there. So uh, you look further down the board and you can find some names. Again, I don't know that a 250 to one long shot is going to win the golf tournament, but uh, could you find him at some sort of, you know, 15 to one for a top 10 this week and uh, find a play with some value that's going to pay off? Yeah, absolutely. I don't have another U.S. Open question. I have a much more important question, which is I'm playing in Mike's annual golf tournament in just a couple short weeks at the Warren uh, Golf Course in South Bend, Indiana. Do you have any tips for me? Uh, just, you know, should I should I not try to outdrive Mike this time? Should I try to, you know, be humble because he's my co-host? Should I try to beat everyone? Uh, I don't know. Tequila. Plenty of tequila. I know that'll be the there. answer. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so I, I that's yeah. part of it. No, I just have as much fun as possible. Yes, yeah, swing hard. Uh, like this is, I mean, I, look, I I'm a a recreational golfer. I'm a mid handicap. I'm I'm okay. I can I can work my way around a golf course. But uh, people tend to like go to these things. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to just go have fun. I don't know. Like uh, they would say, swing easy because no swing speeds. You know, it's physics. The the faster you swing, the farther the ball's going to go. So swing hard. Get out there and yes, absolutely try to outdrive him. Yeah, she won the, what was it, long drive, went on one of the I think it was clo closest, closest to the, to the pin. pin. Closest mm -hmm. to the pin. I was just in. What are you um, asking my advice I have to rush my she title. Did. Well, she, I she felt bad because I, I showed up, Mike, I think it was on the turn, like he hit a fairway shot, and then I hit probably one of my best ones of the day closer to the pin than he did. And Jess, I, I, you know, Jess, I was hammered. It doesn't matter. I mean, listen, I just, just uh, earlier in the week, I was at Greg Olson's tournament in Kiwa Island at Charleston, and I played with a group who repped Don Julio. We had four bottles of tequila between our five, fivesome. It was 
and you try and find that correct line of alcohol mm. and swing juice, we went beyond that by the fourth hole. So that was, <laughs> you're either trying to win the tournament or having as much fun as possible. And that's the road that we went down of just trying to have as much fun as possible. Mike, I played an event a couple of years ago. It was one of these, like, you know, you get paired up with, with a team. I was a quote unquote celebrity in there, but there were actually, there were actual celebrities. And then there was me and I, these poor guys got stuck with me. And so we meet on the first tee and I hadn't met before. And I introduced myself, they introduced themselves. I said, so what do you guys do? And they said, wow, we all work in the beverage distribution industry. I'm like, Oh, this could be a long day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Oh, okay. So yes. And, and it wasn't milk. That was not the beverage. They no. were I don't think, Yeah. I don't yeah. think Mike's going to be allowed to play the LA country club with the crew he was with earlier this week. Oh, I, I couldn't play one. They don't allow shorts. I mean, I live in shorts. So, you know, they, forget that. That's, that's crazy. Um, so, so good. I was, by the way, Mike, I was just watching video on golf channel from yesterday. Rory McIlroy practicing here. He's got his shirt untucked. He's wearing shorts. And at one point he took his phone out of his pocket. And he's looking at his phone. I'm like, he just broke every rule at LACC all at once. And there've got to be members that are watching on TV. Cringing. Thing, like sitting in the clubhouse. Like, oh, you can't do that here. I love that. He I, I, he, it's exactly right. He can do whatever he wants. It makes me like Rory more. Okay. So. You, you have hit on the last couple of winners, right? Taylor last week and Hovland the week before that. So, so let, oh, three in a row. So let's make it real the week before. Yeah, I'm trying. Let's make it four in a row. Who's winning? All right. So I've got, instead of a a one and two on my ranking this week, I've got a one A and a one B and it goes back to that, uh, that quote unquote metric, which really isn't a metric, but I'm looking at creativity this week. I want artists and the two uh, most creative players in the game right now, I believe are Cameron Smith, who we saw win the open championship last year. Look, if you can get up and down on like he did on 17 in the final round of the old course at St. Andrews last year to, to help win that title, you can do it anywhere. I think Cameron Smith's short game is going to be fantastic this week. This is a course that it's got some tinges of Australian sandbelt golf courses, which I think is really going to suit him. And then one B on my list is Jordan Spieth. And I've mentioned him and how he likes having those different variables, not having those stock shots, standard shots to have to hit. I think he's going to be thinking his way around the golf course. I would love to see a feed out there of just Jordan and Michael Greller, his caddy, talking their way through every golf shot because there's going to be a lot of conversation between the two of them. If you want to go further down the down the board and look for a long shot that actually has a chance of hitting an outright this week, Again, I mentioned the live players. Other than Brooks Kepka, who won the PGA Championship last month, the live players are essentially a little undervalued still in the marketplace. And so I, I see a lot of uh, a lot of equity in some of these guys further down the board. Nobody more than Patrick Reed. I know a lot of people like to root against Patrick Reed. He's a Masters champion, finished fourth at Augusta National, 18th at Oak Hill, and he's 80-1 to one this week, a guy who's got a tremendous short game. I think Patrick Reed could do some damage this week as well. That's really interesting. Uh, the only conversation I had with my caddy earlier in the week was when we we're doing our next shot. So it was a whole different conversation. Uh, lastly, last one for me, and I don't know how many people know a, a lot about what's going on, but Tiger and Rory have this indoor league thing like set up to go. Can, can you kind of explain kind of what, what that's going to be? Yeah, so I believe it's six teams of three players each. They, in fact, just announced the first team last week, and it sounds like they're all going to be connected to cities. The first team, I think it's called Los Angeles Golf Club, which, you know, coincidentally enough, we're in L.A. this week, and I'm sure that's why they made that announcement in advance of this golf tournament. But it's going to be six teams of three. They're going to play on Monday night. It's going to be after football season, so it won't get in the way of Monday night football. And this is not this is not a live golf type of thing where they're leaving the PGA Tour for another venture. This is just a little something extra in addition to what they're doing. Mike McCarley, who is my old boss at Golf Channel, is heading this thing up with, uh, like you said, Tiger and Rory as main investors. And they've got a bunch of people from the entertainment music industry who are investing now as well. And, and so I think this is going to be a big deal. They're essentially playing, uh, hitting balls into simulators. Then once they get, I think, inside 50 yards, the chipping and putting will be on an actual course that's indoors. The whole thing should take about two hours every time they play. I, a lot of golf purists are like, man, I'm not going to watch that. That sounds stupid. I have two kids who won't watch a minute of the U.S. Open, but when I explain that to them, they go, ooh, 
that sounds really cool. I want to watch that. And so I think this is going to play into a different demographic. It might not be your, uh, your stringent golf fans who are watching this stuff on a given week, but I do think that a lot of young kids, a lot of people, we, we go to Top Golf. You see a lot of people at Top Golf every single night who aren't golfers, but like going out there and having some fun and think it's cool to watch people play Top Golf. It's going to be very similar, except you're going to see the best players in the world. I'm guessing backwards hat, t shirt, cargo shorts. I mean, maybe even flip flops or bare feet. I mean, I think it's going to be a very casual look. And I think it's going to appeal to a lot of people who don't necessarily want to watch four tournament rounds in a PGA tour event every week. I can't wait to see those swing speeds and ball speeds going into simulator screens and how quickly you're going to have to replace those things. But I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Something different. I think going to be very cool. Jason, we appreciate the time. Great insight on everything. Enjoy. Make sure you keep your long pants on and your cell phone in your pocket. I'll do my best. I'm probably going to break some rules this week because that's what I do. But I appreciate you guys having me. This is fun. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Jess, it was good to get caught up on, on the golf stuff. And again, rarely do you see golf drama off the golf course, but this live deal being done, uh, again, the merger in air quotes as you did, <clears throat> it's going to be wild because they just did a deal and we have no idea uh, what's going on just yet. So we'll keep our eyes and ears open there. But, you know, no longer uh, do we keep our eyes and ears open on the NBA. It is over. Denver wins the championship <laughs> and the gentlemen sweep four games to one. In what I call, Jess, in that game, that last game that Denver won in Denver, normally you love to see a Picasso of a game, right? Whether it's Denver winning it like they did or if Miami could have extended the series uh, and gone back to Miami. You wanted to see this Picasso, this great painting this great picture we got a kindergarten finger painting is what we got that's what we got in this last game it was about as ugly as can be from the shooting side yeah it was not a pretty game Jokic looked extremely frustrated in the third quarter it looked like things were about to get out of hand but you have to give them credit they hung in there they won on their home court I I don't think Many people thought Miami could come back after going down, you know, three to one and bring it to a game seven. So it was only a matter of is Denver going to win at home or are they going to win on the road? And unlike the Celtics, they got to avoid the extra, you know, travel day for the inevitable to happen. And they won. And Jokic is one of the funniest NBA champions of all time. Unreal. His his interview answers, I mean, it was kind of what we talked about last week with Rohan, who did the profile on him for Sports Illustrated. Like, he just doesn't, like, care about all of the glitz and glamour. He just wants to go back to Serbia and ride his horses and, like, go swimming. And then I think one of his teammates, I think Aaron Gordon said that he'll just start getting back in shape, like, two weeks before the season starts. And that's just how he'll spend his summer. And him and his brothers will celebrate. And it's kind of awesome. <laughs> it is I almost think basketball Jess is like fourth or fifth on his list of priorities. I mean, did you did <laughs> the you see her first? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, family, his daughter was she was the winner, yeah. you know, after that game. Everybody, you know, with him her on his shoulders, horses, brothers. I mean and then his answer when somebody asked him about the parade and he was looking at somebody from the organization's parade and they're like, Yeah, Thursday or Friday or whatever, he's like Oh, I just want to go home. I mean, this dude <laughs> couldn't be more less interested in all that goes with the championship. It was like we wanted it's time to go home. I, I can't tell if that's refreshing or if we want him to be happier for this whole thing. No, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's authentic, right? Which fans like someone to be authentic. And you know, not every basketball player is going to have the same motivations and, and wishes and desires as every other basketball player. That's what makes people unique, right? He he loves his hobbies and the things that he does when he's, you know, in the offseason. And, and I appreciate him for 
not caring so much about all the extra stuff. Although, you know, the city's been waiting for this for a long time, so I'm sure they'll be very excited for the parade. It's going to be a huge, um, and it's great that they were able to do it at home for the fans. But, um, yeah, will he be a little distracted at the parade thinking about his his offseason regimen? Maybe, but that's okay. Listen, we know we're not going to get a Jason Kelsey-esque speech out of him uh, yeah, like Jason right. did after the Super Bowl and the Mummers outfit. Maybe from his brothers, though. Did you see his brothers lifting Mike Malone in his the brothers, His brothers and, and how they all hang out together reminds me of Jim Kelly, who used to party with his brothers all the time. <laughs> Those were like his best buds. You know, listen, everybody's talking about the game and, and what went on. Jokic is, is, is the greatest postseason of all time by leading or the first to lead in points, rebounds, assists. I mean, we're talking about him just elevating from the big man standpoint most of the core of this team is under contract uh so you know michael malone he was the one that started bringing up we're not satisfied with one we want more but this game was ugly the shooting was ugly at one point denver was nine of 19 from the free throw line not from threes the free throw line they were awful but kcp and but miami and, and, was worse <laughs> yeah and they were worse but they, they hit him at worse. the end when they needed him jimmy butler was awful but then got hot in the fourth quarter again a 94 89 game it was really not a great game but congrats to denver congrats to stan Kroenke. stan Kroenke, the nuggets win in 23 he owns the Colorado Avalanche. They won the Stanley Cup in 22. He owns the Rams. They won the Super Bowl in the 21 season, but the 22 Super Bowl. He owns the uh, National Lacrosse League's Colorado Mammoth. They won the lacrosse championship in 22. I mean, he's just grabbing trophy after trophy in this thing. Yeah, seriously. That's that's, uh, that's quite a resume. I, I, what are your thoughts on the the whole, you know, the, the trophy getting handed to the owner thing after the championship game? Jess, I know a lot of people don't like it. They like it to the coach or the players. My thought is this guy signs the checks. This guy bought the team. <laughs> this guy's money is the reason that the team is in existence. So I have no problem with the trophy going to, to that guy first. I, I, I really don't. And then, of course, the finals MVP trophy went to uh, Jokic, who he is now the sixth I believe uh, out of the country player who has won the finals MVP Giannis has won it Dirk Nowitzki's won it Tony Parker Tim Duncan Hakeem and now the Joker as well so uh, congrats to them Big what weekend what, for Jokers oh yeah it's exactly right how about in Miami now Jimmy Butler playoff Jimmy Himmy you know and that all that thing <laughs> I'm we're all waiting two weeks from now to him have surgery on something probably his ankle and one of the reasons he wasn't what he was but as Jeff Van Gundy said and I agree if you're out in the court you're out in the court the expectations don't change you got to get it done did did we lose a, even though Jess you had an eighth seed an eighth seed in the NBA finals did Jimmy Butler lose any kind of shine at all on what got them there by not playing his best? I don't think so. I think really it's a credit to, and you saw how they played without him playing his best game over the last, whatever, like six or seven games. And I think it really shows you how important of a player he is. Even though he was hurt, he can't sit out. He can't sit out games. Like that team needs Jimmy Butler. He is, he is the star of the team. He is the player that I feel most bad for that he wasn't able to win an NBA championship this season and I hope one day he will because I think he's a phenomenal player and he's a, he's a, I, I enjoy him as a fan he puts up incredible performances sometimes you wonder how he's able to do it but um, I think just as a as a fan base Miami fans probably are wondering like this was a sh- an opportunity as an eight seed to yeah. win an NBA championship with a roster that most people didn't think were going to get past the play-in round barely got through the play-in round this is probably not something that will ever be, you know, it's not sustainable. They're going to have to make some big decisions and figure out how to generate more offense with the role players on the team or sign another superstar. I know Damian Lillard said on his podcast, maybe he'll come to Miami. Um, there's a lot of question marks for the Miami team. They they almost they almost stole one unexpectedly uh, this season and credit to them for getting that far. But I, I mean, if you're a fan, you're probably left with more questions than answers after this season. Yeah. And so two teams in the finals on two different paths, Miami, you know, there's going to be a shift in personnel. And as I mentioned earlier with Denver, they have their core pretty much in order right now. So 
a team we kind of undervalued or didn't give them the love they probably deserved. Now, you know, their coach, Michael Malone, is yelling after the game, we're not satisfied with one, we're going to get more. And, and they sure as hell may the way they're going to go, the way they've been going. So congrats to Denver. Overall, you look at the NBA, Jess, five different champs in the last five years. The last repeater was Golden State, you know, yeah. in what, 16, 17 or 17, 18, whatever it was. But you've had five different ones last five years. Regular season attendance record, postseason TV ratings were up. So it seems like the NBA is in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, and and they even pushed up the start time of the finals game, so I'm happy. I yeah. I didn't watch the trophy ceremony, ceremony, Mike, but I stayed awake for the end of a finals game for the first time in like three years. So how about that? Pat there's there's the back. there's a Shout that's exactly the right. It was a fun season. Good and job out of you. Now it was over. now it's football season. So. Now now right, we got we got to finish up <laughs> hockey, and unfortunately, down there you're in Miami. You're, Florida Panthers are, are are probably going to go down to the to the Golden Knights in Las Vegas, and then. You know, mini camps are finishing up um, in the NFL, and then we have a little bit of a break uh, before we get to training camp. So, yeehaw to all that. But coming up next, we got F1 to talk about. Um, we have huge uh, money turned down by a player who said, I'd rather go to Miami. And we had a job opening that was filled quicker than I thought than I thought, because, Jess, I was going to throw my hat into the ring for this one. <laughs> we will talk about that next. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, just a few things I want, want to fly through here. Let's first talk about Messi going to Miami. Turn down the Saudi money that Cristiano Ronaldo took and now wants to get out of. It turns out the last offer to him for that league was three years and $1.5 billion. $500 million a year. Now, the dude's worth $600 million, so it's not like money was an issue. But turns out he's coming to Miami. What a what a boost again. We've seen this happen in the MLS before, but, boy, you're getting an all-timer here. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, I don't know if he knows yet that the team actually plays in Fort Lauderdale. Hopefully someone warned him of that. <laughs> but it probably won't matter. He'll probably take his helicopter to the games. He won't have to deal with I-95 traffic. But, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Every, it feels like everything in the world is revolving around uh, the city of Miami and Miami sports right now. So it's cool. I mean, good for MLS. It, it obviously turned down a huge contract with the Saudi team, but – Sounds like he's going to get, you know, part of this Apple deal. Right. He's going to get, Adidas. you know, yeah, team equity. Like, there's a whole lot in it for him. Um, as we know, it is not that hard if you are already wealthy to make a ton of money uh, in this country. So I think he'll be, he'll be, he'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting when he goes stateside for soccer as opposed, you know, this is the world sport. And while it's growing in the United States, it's certainly not as big here as it is in other places in the country. Certainly, certainly on the men's side. Although, like yeah. you know, the Women's World Cup this summer, I oh, expect is going to be shattering records. Wait. Also, I'm very cannot excited wait. For that. Oh, so excited for that! Um, before we get to F1, we have our uh, at Notre Dame, our athletic director Jack Swarbrick is stepping down at the beginning of 2024. Jess, I was going to throw my hat into the ring since I live here six months. I can't believe you didn't get an interview. I, nothing. I mean, it went to Pete Bavaco, who's a great guy. Who was was helping run NBC Sports. Used to be the CEO of the PGA. Went is to Notre lawyer, Dame. Went to Notre Dame. Was a walk on punter under Lou Holtz uh, as a lawyer as well, and so he's going to take over. But uh, Jack is was here, I think, fifteen years and had ten national championships. The, but he did not get it in football. He said that's that's his biggest regret. The closest he got was when my, Mike and Jake uh, were on the team in 2012 when they lost that title game to Alabama. That's the closest they got to winning the well, championship oh, game. Hang on. He's retiring at the end of the next school year, right? So there's I'm wearing my Olivia Miles signed t-shirt right now so i think there's still a chance he can win i mean that team certainly if she's there healthy, is, is going to be set up for a championship run. yes there this is his last chance to get that 
to get that football uh, national championship. But what a run he's had. Uh, you know, it's just a heck of a run. Still wants to do maybe one more thing, he said, in the industry. But what's interesting is Pete Pavacqua, again, from NBC. Remember, Notre Dame and NBC have the agreement, which is, at, I think, about 20 mil a year. And I, the reports are Notre Dame's looking for like 75 mil a year. So now the guy that would have been on one side of the table had the role stayed the same, is now going to be on the other side of the table as the AD of Notre Dame, now negotiating this deal against his, you know, guys that he used to work with at NBC. Yeah, I saw uh, Swarbrick say in one of the interviews, like, you'd rather be negotiating with that guy still at NBC as a Notre Dame grad. But I don't think it hurts that there's a former TV exec in charge because that the television rights deals are the name of the game right now for Notre Dame. If they want to stay independent, they have to be making competitive money from a TV deal and they have to have a a path to the playoff, which it seems like they will have with the 12, uh, you know, the the 12 game playoff thing that's starting next season. So um, yeah. And end of an era for Jack Swarbrick, but uh, maybe we'll win like six more national championships next, next year. And he'll get to add some. No, you get to add some to it. Well, he has a little bit of time left. Pete Pavacqua is going to come in actually in a month or two and kind of start working, you know, learning the ropes of everything before he takes over in the beginning of 2024. And then we get to, to F1. Uh, Where is it this week? Is it in Canada? The Canadian Montreal Grand Prix. That's right. But what's interesting, and this seems to be the way now, while you, I know you're 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 know way more about the F1 than I do, but I'm getting more and more involved in it and love it. And now they're doing what we've seen in other sports, the alternate broadcast. Oh, yeah. oh you yeah. know what Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have started. We've seen that spread out into other sports. Now it's going to hit F1. So your thoughts? This alternate broadcast is going to be, and I like, I love this guy, Will Arnett. Is, I think he's a funny dude. <laughs> and then funny. the personality of Drive to Survive, who is a – he's a backup, right, for, for one of the teams. He's a driver for Red Bull, yes. There you Daniel go. Daniel Ricardo. Daniel Ricardo. the two of them doing an alternate broadcast. What do you think? I'm excited. I think the one downside is that I really like the Sky Sports broadcast. I think that David Croft is one of the best uh, play-by-play people in sports, so I like listening to him call the races, but – I will definitely tune into this. I think there have been a number of these, like you mentioned, experimental, you know, alternate broadcasts that have worked, some that haven't worked. Last year, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi during the Final Four had one of the funniest oh, of these well, they alternate were broadcasts. They were, so was, they were fantastic. They, they were really again, good. They did it again this year, and, I, like, I don't think they got as drunk, so it wasn't, yeah, but it wasn't they were quite great, as though. silly. You're right. But I think Daniel Ricardo is the absolute yes. perfect person for this. And he has tons of expertise too. He is a accomplished driver in his own right. He he gets the sport. He gets how to he, he understands the driver's perspective, of course. Um I'm really excited. I, I don't know how I'm gonna be able to watch both, but I'll I'll have to find a way. Maybe I'll watch the race twice. I, I'm looking forward to it because Listening, because I agree uh, that the race commentators are very good. Now, what I do like is how they talk about strategy, because it's things I'm still learning and don't know. But there also, at times, isn't a lot to talk about, you know, especially when Verstappen's leading, because he rarely gives up the lead. So I I am looking forward to what Arnett and Ricardo will have on the alternate broadcast for this thing. So we will see. Uh, Looking forward to that. Looking forward to Jess. Another week or so, you'll be out here at Notre Dame. Oh, we got my tournament wait. coming up. I I can't wait to see which baked good you're going to bring. Oh, well, shoot. Oh, you didn't even probably, think about that yet. Come on, Jess. That. All right. Oh. Well, I got time. I'll figure it out. Yeah, you got you got you got a week or so. So get on that, and I look forward to to playing golf against you again.